picks a new transfer window and the worst update to targeting and defenseless players ever all that and more on a jam-packed week one preview edition of the three technique college football podcast at the intersection of the x's and o's and the jimmies and the joes i'm mitch mason trey reeves garrett turney riding shotgun fellas it's it's christmas morning it is week one we get to preview some of the most premier games on the entire college football calendar this year. I'm just so hyped to to basically get to watch college football for, I believe it's five straight days, starting tomorrow or tonight, if you're listening to this on Thursday morning. Uh, I, I just It's Christmas morning. No other way to say that. How excited are you guys about this? In less than 12 hours, you guys will get to witness Aiden O'Connell's Heisman campaign oh launch in full Ooh. force. Primetime on Fox. We'll get to that in a second, but I think he's going to show out tonight. And yeah, I'm excited to just veg out, do nothing all weekend on the long weekend, just do nothing but watch college football. Yeah, no, it's exciting. This is There's some of the best games of the year always happen week one. That is no exception this year. And I'm just pumped to start watching these. Week zero gave us the taste, but you know, like we were saying last time, you know, there's the appetizer. Let's get to the entree. It's It truly is just a full cornucopia of college football games and not just football games being played that we get to celebrate like we did with Week Zero, right? None of those matchups were premier matchups. Not even Nebraska-Northwestern, I, I think, on a normal week would be considered a premier matchup, right? It was just the biggest of the Week Zero games. But this week is we're going to dive into, I mean, Ohio State-Notre Dame, number two and number five in the country going at it. Oregon and Georgia, another top 15 matchup. Utah goes to the swamp. Even though Florida is not ranked, it still feels like it has massive postseason implications in week one. Certainly for for my playoff projections, for Garrett Garrett's playoff projections, as you well know. We've got the backyard brawl back on Thursday night. And as Trey mentioned, Penn State, Purdue, many more games as well that we want to get to. Um, but with a jam-packed show, of course, we need to take care of the housekeeping first. A gentle reminder, if you are new to the show, welcome. Glad to have you aboard. If you would head over to our social media and drop us a follow, that would help immensely at 3TechPod on Instagram and Twitter. It's a perfect place to interact with you guys during the week, but especially on game day when, as Trey said, we are just vegetables on the couch uh, with uh, Twitter up and obviously as many games on as many possible screens as possible. Uh, If you have not left us a rating for the show on Spotify, on Apple, please do so. Give us a fair rating. Uh, whatever you, you think the show deserves, we would obviously hope it would be a five-star review. But if not, maybe leave some feedback, how we can continue to improve what you're interested in hearing as we go on throughout this season. But Trey, if you will queue up the news and notes segment, that's where we're going first. And we've got some juicy ones here tonight. I mentioned off the top, 
that we've got a transfer window in place. Literally, college football powers that be, for all the questionable decisions that they make, they decided to drop two huge news bombs right before we kick off the season. The transfer window now in place. We'll get to the defenseless player ruling in just a second. But guys, uh, the transfer window, something that a lot of people have talked about needing to be a necessity in the in, in the game of college football, in, in college sports in general, for a long time. And finally, the NCAA has addressed that. It looks like this. In the fall, there is now a 45-day window after championship selections were from May 1st through the 15th. So this prevents the Jarrett Dagies of the world from losing the battle in camp and then, and no shot at Troy or Western Kentucky at all. It just is what it is uh, from transferring immediately from one camp to another, and then trying to win that job or destabilize that roster essentially is what's going on. Now, Dagie is not going to be the starter for Troy. They did announce their incumbent would be the starter for now. We'll, we'll see if, if Jarrett can crack the starting lineup in the winter. There is a 60 day window after championship selections and in the spring, the portals are from December 1st to the 15th and 45 days after championship selection. So all of that to say, transfers during the season for each respective championship window are not a thing anymore. So I'll kick it over to you guys. This seems like a long time coming and a healthy update from the NCAA. Yeah, they listened to the three technique this summer because we laid <laughs> all of this out and how it would be a great thing for college football. So we have a lot of thoughts of the, on this on that episode, but it just makes sense. It kind of removes the emotion from the transfer portal a little bit, makes you sit through a whole season, especially our freshmen that are coming in that just trying to get their feet under them on their own for the first time. Maybe you don't crack the starting lineup coming out of fall camp. It's the first time you've ever experienced that in your athletic career. Just take in a season just enjoy your campus that you committed to enjoy being a student athlete at that campus and if it's still not for you after a full season then by all means like exercise your rights to the transfer portal but I think this is a huge win for college football yeah and it needed to happen because you know it's more fair to the student athletes right a lot of people are going to say this is good for colleges this is good to kind of keep them in check but it's better for student athletes because they're not just going to flood the portal at any time and then coaches can't see them, can't evaluate them. There's not a definite time that coaches will be looking at the portal. It, it, when it's been 24-7, 365, you know, it, any guy can hop into the portal at any time. And, you know, you may not get your best situation. You might just get the first guy that comes calling. So I think it's better for players to have a window and they can say, all right, I'm hopping in here and I'm going to explore my options, and then people can go through and evaluate you, and you can find a good fit for yourself, not just the first place that you can find a spot. I will say I will miss the rumors or the actual occurrences of the halftime portal entry where guy just makes a bad play <laughs> or gets great. yanked, and we see on Twitter that he's entered the transfer portal shortly after the game and assume that it happened at halftime. I'll miss that personally, but the, a small price to pay. Yeah, the yeah. Antonio Brown transfer right there. The The thing that I was going to point out, this does essentially create a free agency frenzy when the portal does open because you will have essentially all these quote-unquote free agents that are corralled into one very convenient place for every coach in America to start making phone calls. So I think it's, you know, I mean, look, 
pay for play. You say, say what you will. It exists in college football. Now it's always existed in college sports. Now it's just legal sort of in some States. Uh, but now with the portal and with this timing window, now you're essentially creating NBA free agency, MLB free agency for a set date. And look, this is an entertainment business. We've, we've mentioned this numerous times on this podcast if the powers that be actually cared about the sport, actually cared about the quality of the game, there would be some very different policy changes in place right now. But because it is an entertainment industry, just look at the Big Ten's $7 billion media deal coming up. They get to create a more entertaining product with that. And you know, I, I think this does scratch kind of both itches here where it mm-hmm. provides a little bit more traction, a little bit more, uh, some more guidelines to coin... Uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean f- phrase, and it, it does create a more entertaining product where, boy, being on Twitter, especially during football transfer season, is going to be fun. So another reason to go follow 3TechPod because we'll cover it all for you. <laughs> Elsewhere in the news, and this may be the most depressing part of things, so we, we got done uh, congratulating the NCAA for being competent for once. Now we get to take all that right back. The NCAA enacted several rule changes today, including one to the defenseless player, specifically the passer. So I'm going to read you Article 14. It's Rule 2, Section 24, Article 14. And it says, quote, A defenseless player is one who, because of their physical position and focus of concentration, is especially vulnerable to injury, whatever focus of concentration means. When in question, a player is defenseless. Examples of defenseless players include, but are not limited to, and we'll focus on part A here. Part A says, a player in the act of or just after throwing a pass. This includes a player in a passing posture with focus downfield. Guys, I read that, and legally now, if you breathe on the quarterback who's not looking at you after the the laces have left his fingertips, the head referee is fully justified in flagging you for this. It is going to make pass rushing an absolute nightmare in my estimation. Yeah, no, I think the issue that you're going to run into with this is, you know, there's a lot to do with on the defensive side of the ball. You can't really play the game anymore. And, and I would have been fine with this maybe if they chose to do this over the summer, but this is at the end of everything. It's week one. Like there have already been games that have been played. And so it's not even a consistent rule over the whole year. You can't coach this up really as a part of fall camp or as a part of if they even announced it beforehand in the spring, right? And so for me, I'm looking at this and I don't really like the rule, but if you're going to implement it, at least give coaches and players time to, you know, work this out, figure out where they're going. And then just from a competitive side, personally, I don't love it. You know, I'm a bigger fan of the defensive side of the ball than the offensive side. I know that might be a little bit, you know, unpopular, but I like watching defensive football. I like watching guys hit people. I think it's part of the game that makes it special and kind of distinguishes it from other sports is that it's really physical. And, you know, I was already upset at the whole, you know, if you tackle the quarterback the wrong way and you land on him, then you can call the flag for unnecessary roughness. I already kind of didn't like that rule. But now it feels like, especially in an age with running quarterbacks, you don't have any chance to kind of hit him, follow through, you know, be aggressive. And I think it's just going to be bad. You're going to see scoring go up and you're going to watch defenses have even a harder time of covering, you know, these more advanced offensive schemes. You guys hit the nail on the head. Nothing else really for me to add. It's another in the long line of 
rule changes that are benefiting the offense at the expense of the defense. And I think that makes for a less entertaining product in the long run. And and don't hear that we're not for player safety, right? Because there is absolutely a concerted effort right. to make the hits safer, legal, right? Change the target zone from the neck up or even the shoulders up to more of the, the midsection. Totally understand that. Honestly, I can even understand the rule about not going after a quarterback's legs. We've seen some gruesome injuries, especially mm-hmm. in the NFL, right? The Tom Brady rule. I understand all that. But when you put it in black and white that technically an official can flag you for hitting the quarterback in any manner after he's released the football, if it's deemed that his focus, quote unquote, is elsewhere, man, it's going to be hard to play defense. So, I, you know. It takes the nuance out of it too, because we do want consistent rulings. We do want consistent judgments from our officials, no matter what conference, no matter what game it's in. But there is something to be said about the heat of the moment and if there was intent to hurt a quarterback too. And this just completely takes that out of the equation. I, I agree. I think it's it's going to your teams are going to have to be, first of all, adjusting on the fly, like Garrett said. That that's an excellent point. We mentioned games kick off, you know, tomorrow as we're recording this, tonight as you're listening to this. So the NCAA has essentially given teams 24 hours notice that, oh, by the way, yeah. the whole way that you attack the quarterback is completely different than it was when you went through three weeks of fall camp. Um, that that seems ludicrous to me. But anyway, we can't do anything about it. It is what it is. Elsewhere, LSU has not announced a quarterback ahead of Sunday's game. We'll talk about this as LSU and Florida State is one of those teams that are uh, one of those games that's a primetime game. So we'll preview that in in its full entirety uh, towards the latter end of the show. I just want kind of a quick answer from each of you, and Garrett, we'll start with you. LSU not naming a quarterback. LSU surely has to know who they're going with. Is it really that big of an advantage for the Tigers to not name a starting quarterback against the Knolls? I mean, I don't think it's an advantage because in today's day and age, you have enough prep on both guys. You know, if you're Florida State, you've done your prep on both guys. It's just which guy are you going to talk about when, right? So maybe you lose what, 30 minutes pregame? And you're like, <laughs> oh, hold on, I've got to, we're going to do the Jaden Daniels plan or we're going to do the other, you know, so I uh, I mean, I'm not exactly surprised a lot of these newer coaches, you know, taking a little bit of time to announce their starting lineups, but yeah, just not, not, not going to give them that much of an advantage competitively. I think it's a good decision from Brian Kelly, a little bit of a different take than Garrett. Florida State has a distinct advantage in this game, having already played against Duquesne last week. So anything that you can do to kind of throw off that balance is worth doing. And absolutely, Brian Kelly already knows who he's going to trot out there for the first series. Absolutely. Is it Jaden Daniels? Is it Miles? Uh, not Miles Brennan, but uh, who's their other guy? Garrett Nutzmeyer. Thank you, Nutzmeyer. Um, whether or not it's one of those guys, but they are two very different guys stylistically. And so just throwing a wrench in the Florida state plan. We know that's a program that, you know, could use as many benefits as they could have um, just kind of balances things out with Florida state already having played a game. Yeah. yeah I, I, I think it's going to be Jaden Daniels as the starting quarterback, just for a variety of reasons. And, you know, we can, we can talk about that on, on the recap show um, more than likely when, you know, whoever it is runs out to take that first snap. I think Nussmeyer is the future quarterback, but for one year, it's probably going to be Jaden Daniels. 
Uh, last item to mention, of course, get in your picks for the spread option, our weekly Pick'em series. It is free to enter. No, uh, no paywall that you have to go through. Uh, obviously, with a couple of Thursday games on that slate, I believe we include both the Backyard Brawl and Penn State-Purdue. If you have not gotten your picks in for those games before the Thursday night kickoff, it will affect your score going forward. So not a reason to play if you're listening to this maybe on Friday. The majority of those games are Saturday contests or, or after, so you'll you'll be perfectly fine for those. But if you happen to be one of our loyal listeners who uh, hears this the moment that it comes out, the morning that it comes out on your drive to work, and you have not already played the spread option, head over to, again, our Twitter, our Instagram. It's all over both those accounts. And uh, play for free. Play against the show. The winner at the end of the year, we are keeping track of your point total. The winner at the end of the year will get to tell me, within reason, which uh, mini helmet they would like ordered directly to their door. I've decided that that's going to be the prize. Uh, it's there something that I love collecting, and uh, I think that you guys would would enjoy that as well. So the spread option on Instagram, uh, it's in the link in our bio. It's also all over our Twitter feed, at 3TechPod. But guys. Housekeeping, news, notes, done, dusted. Week one's here. Let's get to the previews, and we start with the game of the week. Number five, Notre Dame going to Columbus to take on the second-ranked team in the land, Ohio State. Ohio State is 17-point favorite, according to Bet Online. Not a sponsor, could be. That game kicking Saturday, ABC at 6.30 p.m. Central Time, as all these game times will be. I'll kick it to you guys to start this. This this is without a doubt the game that every single person in America that, that can will have their eyeballs on. Obviously a top five matchup. Marcus Freeman installed as the new head coach. It's his first regular season game as the coach of the Irish. Ohio State, a national championship favorite by uh, many, if not most, of the college football world from what I can tell. So I'll throw it to you guys. Which way are we leaning here? It's obviously a huge number. Notre Dame is getting disrespected, according to a lot of people. Do you believe that? Do you think this number is accurate? I don't think so. I actually lean the Irish against the spread. 17 points, maybe even up to 17 and a half, depending on where you look. But I don't know. I just don't think that on week one of the season for both of these teams, it's going to be that big of a disparity. Maybe I'm buying the Marcus Freeman hype a little too much, but you know, we know what the offense is at Ohio state. It's going to be high powered. They're going to connect on big plays, but question for you guys, is this maybe the best defense that they're going to play all year at Notre Dame, at least until the Michigan game, at least until Michigan. I think that's true. I think Michigan, they have a lot more to prove, but by the end of the season, they'll be there. Yeah. I mean, we, we know it's high-powered, but this is going to be a very good test for them week one. And when you think about Notre Dame possibly winning this game, I don't think that's possible outside of maybe a Tyler Buckner absolute perfection game, like a Heisman moment type situation. But I think they can definitely keep it closer than 17. It's a game one under Jim Knowles. They might not have the system completely installed, but 17 just seems way too high to me. I agree. I, so, well, I, I say that I agree on everything that Trey said, except I'm picking Ohio State to cover the number, and here's why. This matchup, of course, it's it's all focused around Notre Dame's defense against Ohio State's offense. What what Trey said is true. Where probably as a unit, this is the best defense that Ohio State's going to face. I think until Iowa, I, I would put Iowa as the next best test. 
on October the 22nd, so still a ways away. But here's my hang-up. Notre Dame, their one question on defense is in the secondary. And that's also a concern for Ohio State. So neither team has a very good secondary. In fact, Ohio State's secondary has been below average for a number of years, despite a bevy of high-powered recruits and and big-time stars coming in. They just haven't really produced results on the field. Jim Knowles coming over from Oklahoma State is certainly an added bonus, and they're going to be aggressive. So because I think there's room for improvement on both defenses, I look at who, which quarterback is going to be able to affect this game most in a positive manner. And of course, it's going to be C.J. Stroud. The weapons that he has, I think the time that he's going to have to throw the ball as opposed to Tyler Buckner, who might be under the gun with a lot of Jim Knowles blitzes. I don't know that I believe in Notre Dame's offense quite enough to say that they keep up with Ohio State. So for the majority of the game, I think it could be close. As both teams kind of warm up, they settle in. But as I sat at my desk and and really stared at that number, because that's a huge number to give the number five team in the country, I just have this feeling that Ohio State, whether it's late, whether it's early, they pull away and they win by, you know, 20 to 24. So I'm going to roll with the Buckeyes. Would not be shocked for a moment, though, if we wake up on Sunday morning and Notre Dame's lost by 7, 10, 14. Yeah, I think I've got them losing by two touchdowns right now. Um, I will say, I think y'all are kind of selling the Irish short. There's a reason they're the number five team. They have a chance to win this game. And I'm not saying that either you're saying it's impossible, but let's give credit where it's due. They have a really disciplined team. I think that they're going to really, really play for this game. Um, Marcus Freeman is going to have them up, and they're not going to get punched in the face and just fall over. Like this team is going to come out and play hard. They're going to use their tight ends. They're going to be physical. And I think they're going to challenge the defense out the gates. Now, I don't personally think that they keep up forever. I think this is a game where you see them hang around in that sort of down seven to 10 points the entire game. And then a late touchdown puts it out of reach so that the last drive Notre Dame has is kind of just for reps. You know, Mm -hmm. I could see it being a thing where, you know, going into the, you know, last five to six minutes of the game, Ohio State gets the ball back. It's a 31-21 type of thing. And then they punch in one more touchdown just to push. I I don't think, though, that this is going to be a really uncompetitive game. I think it's going to be a fun game to watch. I think you're going to watch a lot of back and forth, a lot of playmaking. But I also think that you could see, especially off the start, the defenses start to take hold of this game until maybe about the second quarter when offenses settle in. I'm excited to see if Tommy Reese kind of gets the handcuffs taken off him a little bit too. What better time than the first game of the season with all the eyeballs on this game than to just unleash that offense. We've seen glimpses of that the past couple of years since he's taken over as offensive coordinator, but I don't know. He he hasn't been limited by quarterback play, but it certainly hasn't been game changers (laughs) at the quarterback position. No disrespect to Ian book or, um, Jack Cohn last year, but yeah, I mean, I'm really excited to see what Tyler Buckner can do. Don't know that he's really set up for success week one against this big of an opponent that he's going to have to be playing catch up with all night, but and I'm really road. excited about his future. Yeah. On the road, new coach down their top wide receiver in Avery Davis, who's done for the yeah, year. That's something we haven't mentioned yet. That's, yeah. that's a huge, you know, they got Michael Meyer at tight end. Who's maybe the best tight end in the country, but at the same time, I, if, if there's one way to hurt Ohio State, it's deep down the field. And I don't know if Notre Dame can do that. So, uh, you know, 
hey, listen, first preview of the year, boys disagree. What 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 better situation could you have? What I hope Notre Dame doesn't do, just for a pure entertainment standpoint, is try to take the air out of the ball. I have a feeling that might be and just what they it. try to do, but that's not the winning strategy against Ohio State. They're going to score points. Do your best to keep up with them. I will say, look, if you're Notre Dame fans, look for that tight end up the seam, especially as he gets deeper into the secondary. I think that could be a place where they make their money is kind of taking advantage of the size when you get into that second level. Game number two on our docket, also a doozy. Number 11, Oregon at number three, Georgia. Dogs, a 17.5 point favorite. This game Saturday at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, Georgia. Technically a neutral site game. Uh, Don't tell Georgia that because they'll show up in force. It's on ABC at 2.30 p.m. Central Time. Guys, this feels like Bo Nix against the world. Am, Am I wrong here? I mean... It's it's Bo, return of Bo Nix to the SEC one game after he's left. It's Bo against what's going to be a tenacious Georgia defense and a pass rush. I don't know about you guys, but the last time we watched Bo Nix try and survive against tenacious SEC pass rushes, he didn't do so well. You're right about that. What I will say, though, is we can't disrespect Oregon's defense on this one. All right, Everyone's going to be talking about Georgia's defense, but let's not forget that their new coach just so happened to be that defensive coordinator, and they've got some studs on that side of the ball. Right, They've mm-hmm. got some absolute playmakers, especially in the linebacker core. I think Oregon's going to be really good defensively in this game, and especially with a Georgia team that's turning over so many different playmakers and they're going to have to figure out their chemistry. I- I'm not picking them to win this game. But 17 and a half feels like an easy line for me. I think Oregon is going to keep this game pretty close. I don't think Bo Nix is going to beat the world. I don't think he's going to come out there and shock everybody. He certainly has the capacity to do that. We all know what he can do when he's on. But I just, I think he's going to keep him in the game. I think they're going to do enough on offense. And I just don't think George is going to score that many points. I think they're going to be able to keep up with him. George also lost, of course, a ton of talent, not just on offense, but or not just on defense, but on offense as well mm-hmm. from last year. Stetson Bennett, we love what we've seen from him. We know that he does have some limitations, though. He's not going to be a guy that usually against the elite defenses in college football is putting up gaudy numbers, but he's going to get the job done. I don't know. I picked Georgia in the spread option to cover. I'm not confident about that, though. I, <laughs> it's they, a large they, number. It's a huge number. Game one with all this replacement talent coming in. Dan Lanning and Bo Nix know Georgia like the back of their hand. Bo Nix, of course, played against Georgia every single year while he was at Auburn. I don't know. It's a really interesting situation. I feel like the cover scenario for Georgia isn't like a just run out and blitz you situation. It's kind of a more slow cooking, pressure cooking situation where you look up and it's been close all game, but all of a sudden they're up by 24. Yeah. in the fourth quarter because they That's get a fair. late score or a defensive touchdown or something like that. I'm excited to see Oregon, like you said, Garrett, their defense match up against an SEC offense because they have the athletes. Noah Sewell in that linebacker core is elite. If you haven't gotten to see Oregon play defense, turn on the tape from the Ohio State game last year. It was a little bit more of a shootout, but that defense stepped up when it needed to and made some great plays against an elite offense. So, yeah, I'm not going to say Georgia's on upset alert this week, but it could definitely be closer than this line. Well, and a lot of people have 
Georgia on upset alert for all the reasons that you just said, right? You're installing a new defensive coordinator. You've got plenty of talent, a historic amount of talent to replace on both sides of the ball. Um, I'm surprised that neither of you referred to Georgia's quarterback as Stequavius Bennett, as he's been referred to on Twitter <laughs> after getting his brand new fade haircut. Also, shout out to Stetson for just a rock solid NIL deal with uh, an apartment complex in the Athens area. If you haven't seen that, just go look up Stetson Bennett NIL deal. You'll find it. He filmed a commercial with them and kid connect a little bit. So, so good for him. I'll say this. I'm going with the dogs uh, to, to go ahead and cover that 17 and a half spread. And look, Sunday morning, you may be tweeting at me going, Mitch, what on earth were you doing <laughs> giving away 18 points to the number 11 team in the country? And I hear you. I totally do. What Trey said, though, is what I absolutely agree with. This game could be very, very close, very, very competitive. But all of a sudden you look up and you go, wow, Georgia's up by 20? How did that happen? And I think it's going to come down to turnovers. That's what I've got in my notes is kind of the X factor is when when it comes to limiting those turnovers, one thing that Stetson Bennett has not done is given away the football. Now, yep. he may not go out and throw for 400 yards and put up five touchdowns to the air, but he's not going to turn the football over. One thing that cannot be said about, about, about Bo Nix is that he takes care of the football particularly well. So I've got Georgia covering the spread pretty much exclusively because I just feel like this Georgia defense is going to force a couple of turnovers. Maybe they get points off of that. And like Trey said, you look up late in the third, early in the fourth, and all of a sudden you're like, wait, this game isn't actually that close. Let's check on what's going on over in ESPN or CBS Sports Network, one of those situations. So I'll roll with the dogs. I, I know it's a risky bet. Trey, just just to be clear, you officially are going with Georgia or you're, you're picking Oregon here? I'll go with Georgia. I think it is more of the slow cooking situation. I could see like a 35-13 situation where it's 24-13 going into the fourth quarter or something like that. But again, Georgia's offense didn't exactly come out guns a-blazing last year. And that opener against Clemson. I know Clemson's defense was way better than what Oregon's going to trot out there this year. But slow starts are not untypical of these Georgia teams under Kirby Smart. Garrett's game of the week is up next. Number seven, Utah, two and a half point favorites on the road. They go to the swamp to take on the Gators Saturday on ESPN at 6 p.m. Garrett, Utah, they're more proven. They're more physical. But going on the road to a sold-out swamp to open up the season, not exactly an easy task. Now, I know you're going to take Utah minus two and a half here unless I've just completely misread all the talk that you've made about the youth. So why do you believe in a nutshell that Utah is going to come in and be one and oh after their date with the Gators? Well, so it has a little bit to do with both sides. I think the first part of this has to do with Utah being, I think one of the better teams in the country, right? I do think that they're solidly the third best team in the country. And I think that there's a bit of a gap after that. Now I know Trey's giving me a smirk, but Cam Rising, he's as dependable as you want out of a quarterback, right? You're going to be able to run the ball. You're going to be able to out-physical them. When you talk about going on the road, you want to carry a couple things with you. You want to run the ball. You want to play defense. They're going to be just fine in both those regards. Flip side of that, Florida has so many variables coming into this game that they could very well be a fantastic team. I'm not ready to say that, right? I'm just not ready to say that they're going to be fantastic. They got too many questions of what they're going to produce on offense, How does this culture fit? What happens if they go down immediately at home? Are they going to be a resilient team? We don't know. 
right? And so I think this is a game where Utah, kind of like what you guys were just saying about Georgia, I think Utah can just kind of lean on Florida through this game and kind of hold a bit of a lead, maybe hold a good three, seven-point lead and start to put them away towards the end. I'd pick them to win by two touchdowns probably in this game. I don't I don't think Florida's going to have everything figured out yet. If Florida had a game last week in week zero where they get to tune it up, I might be feeling differently about this one. But as it stands, you know, give me the use pretty easy on this one. I'm excited to see Anthony Richardson right out of the gate facing this Utah defense because they're going to throw a lot at him. And I'm excited to see it's going to be a trial by fire in this new offense under Billy Napier to see what he can do. And he's getting a lot of hype this offseason. I don't know that it's 100% warranted yet. I'd really like to see him prove it before I fully buy into the Anthony Richardson hype. But I'm excited to see it against a big opponent week one. We don't have to dissect some film against a nobody and say, look at all this crazy plays that he did. Look at these stats that he put up against, you know, South Florida school for the blind or something like that. But (laughs) I'm right there with you, Garrett. I'm not going to say, hold on. Let me just press pause on this game. Would you pick Utah straight up against Georgia on a neutral field? Oh, man. I think that game would be really close. I think that game would be really close. Um, I think it would depend where the neutral field was. (laughs) Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah, I was going to say. Omaha, Nebraska. Um, Week one of the season, yes. All right. Wow. Okay. Week one of the season with Georgia breaking in pieces, with, you know, having to recover some of that, I think they would start too slow and Utah would be able to put on – Utah almost beat this Ohio State team that we're talking about right now. Know, they almost beat that Ohio State team in the road. With no secondary. I know, I know. That's spicy, though. I love it. I love it. But back to the Utah-Florida game. Good, I, I, I do think Utah is going to be too much. I wonder how they'll adjust to the crowd environment and to this, the weather situation. I haven't looked at a weather report for Gainesville, but I bet you a lot of money it's going to be hot and humid. It's going to be hot. Um, even <laughs> at, at 6 p.m. So... I think they'll adjust to that fine. I'm sure they've been acclimating in that way and uh, they'll be fine with that, but it might be a little bit of adjustment out of the gate. I think they cover relatively easily. Don't know about two scores, but probably in the 10 to 12 point range. That's kind of where I'm leaning to. I feel like seven to 10 feels about right. My questions about Florida are, are these Anthony Richardson is, is quickly becoming the, the, prototype quarterback that everyone kind of fawns over big physical strong arm can run the football which hey I mean listen there's nothing not to like about him except we've seen his floor he he reminds me of Caleb Williams where sky's the limit when he's on and when he's throwing the ball accurately but when he's not like against Georgia and again different scenario different season I get that all the variables are, are very much different but at his lowest point, he gave up 21 points in like 30 seconds to Georgia by turning the football over. Now, I know they're at home, but I do think Utah's secondary, they're healthy this year. They're going to be a little bit better. Do they lose Devin Lloyd? Absolutely. You cannot replace mm-hmm. a guy like Devin Lloyd in your linebacking core in year one. But I think that this game becomes more of a close-fought, grinded-out, in-the-heat Week one, let's play things maybe a little bit safer, especially late in the game. And I trust Utah's running game and their physicality more than I do Florida's 
simply because we have not seen what Florida said, like both of you guys have intimated already. So I'm going to ride with the Utes. I'm going to ride with the more proven, consistent quarterback in Cam Rising. I know the Swamp's going to be an intimidating atmosphere, but I, I just think Utah's played big-time football recently as well with multiple you know, things, bragging points, whatever, on the line. And, and yeah, Garrett, you're right. They took that Ohio State team to the brink in the Rose Bowl. Florida's team, they have a bitter taste in their mouth from the way last season ended, losing to UCF, plus all the new items that a new coach brings. I, I'm just going to ride with the proven commodity for this game as well. So give me the Utes, minus two and a half there on the road. Let's go to Thursday night's game. If you're listening to this, obviously, as it gets released, you'll get the preview in time. Uh, if you haven't, you can feel free to skip ahead, obviously, because maybe those games did not play out at all how we're going to say they will. But for feel right free now, to laugh at us that's, for that's how right. wrong we are. That's right. Hindsight's <laughs> 2020. Tweet at us if you so choose. West Virginia and number 17 Pitt renew their rivalry. Pitt a seven-point favorite right now. Backyard brawl back in action for the first time in several years. It's on ESPN at 6 p.m. Now, I know we're, we're slightly down on West Virginia, much to the chagrin of apparently numerous Mountaineers fans that listen to this show. So I'll say this, West Virginia's pass rush should be decent, but I'm nervous about that secondary. That secondary just, just leaves a lot to be desired in my mind. They were raided by the portal, zero proven pieces back there, other than I believe they got, they've got one pretty decent safety. But one man on his own is, is not going to win this game Reports from camp are that Keaton Slovis, the new quarterback for Pitt, is about to wow the college football world. I mean, you talk to guys on the ground, and they are saying that this kid is about to have you know a dark horse Heisman campaign. So that could be all fall camp talk. We haven't seen a down played uh, for the Panthers in the regular season, but this is the most veteran team in the entire ACC. It's a rivalry game, yes, but again, we keep harping on proven commodities and we loved the Pitt Panthers in our ACC preview. I'm going to go with Pittsburgh here, minus seven. I think it's kind of close. I don't know that it's a comfortable game for Pitt. But again, give me seven to ten, certainly to cover that number and, and get the win in week one. Yeah, I wish it was down at six and a half just to make it a little bit more Agreed. clean. But mm -hmm. I'll take Pitt as well. I, I'm excited to see Slovis at West Virginia. The dude is super talented when he's healthy. It's it's literally just been a health situation for him. He has all the tools in the world. Go back and watch him. Even in his time at Georgia, he flashed at Georgia. He was really good at USC when he was there. I just don't know that the defense is going to be able to keep up, not just in this game, but just throughout the conference season. I know we've gotten called out on that before. We think so there's some people in Morgantown that think that's a hot take, but I just think that that's how it plays out this season. The offense could be really, really good in the offense, surprisingly, because that's hasn't how it's been under Neil Brown. Um, the offense really has not carried them. It has been the defense that's carried them to a bowl game. I think that could flip this year if they do make a bowl game. So give me Pitt this week, though. They bring everybody back other than Kenny Pickett and Jordan Addison. I know that's a dynamic duo to have to replace, but I like that they have all the other pieces coming back. Yeah, I think you guys are right on with it. I'm with Pitt on this one, too. I think that it's really about the supporting cast. Both quarterbacks, I think, are plenty talented. They're going to be fine. Um, it's just all about the supporting cast in this case. And I think that if you're asking me who's going to let their 
quarterback down more, I think you're going to talk about West Virginia players. Now, that's not to say that they're terrible or they can't play, but I think you would see a, a few more instances where pit guys are giving you a spectacular play or bailing out their quarterback as opposed to guys on West Virginia, especially when you consider the defenses that they'll be playing. I just think there's too much continuity with Pitt. So, yeah, give me Pitt minus seven. Will Keaton Slovis be the most exciting player on the field, though? Yeah. Probably. Yeah, probably so. I can't think of anyone from West Virginia that that stands out to me. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say yes. I, I will say in favor of West Virginia, Graham Harrell, the offensive coordinator now there, he's yep. got full reign of the play calling duties now. Is that, that a good thing? Well, well, so I was going to say, he hasn't. <laughs> quite panned out the hype anyway since he came out of texas tech quarterback for the, the packers as a backup there for years uh and then you know obviously it was most recently at usc we kind of expected to see the air raid and the texas tech style offense there and we didn't so i do wonder if now under neil brown he gets maybe back towards his roots with a quarterback who can sling it all over the lot i, I do hope to see some of that high-powered high-flying offense from the nears but it's one thing that, that we have to wait and see. We haven't seen it from Harold yet as an offensive coordinator, so uh, watch this space, no doubt. Penn State, three-and-a-half-point favorites on the road at Purdue, also Thursday night. Fox, you can find it there, and it is at 7 p.m. Central Time. Trey, you gave us the Purdue uh, prediction, the Purdue preview earlier this offseason. You are big on the Boilermakers, so I'll turn this one over to you first. Boys, Purdue is my lucky dog of the week. Um, they're getting three and a half points at home. West Lafayette is going to be bumping tomorrow tonight as you're listening to this. And I'm just not completely sold on Penn State. I, I have them having a better season this year, but I was really hoping we would see someone other than Sean Clifford at quarterback. And we're we're all in on Sean Clifford in Happy Valley. We're tying hitching our wagons to the proven starter. Again. Again, I just feel like we know what we have in Sean Clifford, and it's not a guy that's going to go out there and win you games. Sometimes he won't lose you games, but I don't see him as an X factor that's going to put you over the top in a Big Ten matchup like this one. It, they Penn State certainly doesn't have the better quarterback in this game with Aiden O'Connell. I oh. joked off the top, but he could put up some bananas numbers on this game against Penn State's defense and Really kick off, I'm not going to say that it's going to be a title run, a Big Ten West title run for Purdue, but I think they're going to be more than plucky this year. They took a step forward last year. They were always kind of that 6-6 six and six team that maybe knocked off one big team, but they looked really, really good last year. They were, um, especially in that bowl game against Tennessee, their offense was unstoppable. So, yeah, give me Purdue opening night. I'm buying into the hype at home. Yeah, I think I'm going the other way on this one, and I don't have a lot of great reasons for it. Um, I just kind of, I just got a feeling that that Penn State's going to be fine here. Um, I'll take the the I think the better coached team on a Thursday night. If this game was playing on a Saturday, I think I would probably end up taking the home team with a lot of hype. But on a Thursday night, you know, students got class in the morning, and oh, we're not going to class. Oh, we're not going to class. A, a chance that eight AM is populated. Not, not obviously, but you know what I'm saying. It's a Thursday night. the The environment will be a little less less out of town fans, things like that. So, um, I mean, 
you know, I'll, I'll go with a little bit of proven experience here. I, I don't think they have the talent advantage at quarterback. I think you're spot on right there. And McConnell's certainly getting slept on, but yeah, just give me Penn State on this one. I, I don't have a lot of great reasons. It just kind of feels like a like a twenty to fourteen type of game that's sort of ugly, but a a grueling Big Ten matchup that we've seen so many times before. Yeah, that's just classic Big Ten football right there. Yeah. Um, oh I, I no! Will... If, if Penn State scores twenty, Purdue is winning this game by multiple scores. I I, I was gonna say so. First of all, the crowd that says that James Franklin is definitively a better coach than Brian Brom might be dwindling Jeff right Brown. now. Jeff Brom, sorry. Uh, thank good. you for that. Uh, Didn't mess up Franklin's name. That's all I'm saying. I, <laughs> fair, <laughs> fair, fair point. But there's something about playing in West Lafayette that that Trey mentioned. Like it, it's it's weird. It's just it's one of those vortexes where things you know up is down and and east is west. But I, what Trey said, I think, rings true here. That the better quarterback is is on the side of Purdue. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't necessarily believe in the skill position that Purdue has over Penn State. I think Penn State could be more explosive as a team if they get adequate quarterback play from Sean Clifford. But with that being the biggest question in my mind, I'm also going to take the home team here. Three and a half. All right. It just it, it, It's begging me to take this team. They're not my home dog of the week, uh, but I, I will say – I. I really like Purdue here. I don't know if they're going to win outright. It just feels like maybe it's one of those last second Big Ten wins for Penn State, and they win by three, and you know, right now that's not covering. So give me Purdue. I think there's just way more room for chaos here than, than maybe meets the eye, and I'm going to roll with the Boilermakers. And it really is just so funny to look at this game because – Purdue has better skill position, or sorry, Penn State has way better skill position talent. They have a very questionable quarterback that we don't know if he can get them the ball consistently. Purdue has an amazing quarterback, but we are really questionable about their skill position talent after losing um, a couple guys um, this past offseason. So it's going to be a really interesting chess match to watch. Well, listen, this is exactly how Penn State lost to Illinois last season, right? Yeah. You go back and watch that game like I did a couple of weeks ago. I'm sorry. And, yeah, well, listen, (laughs) it was was for a project. Um, But Sean Clifford's just overthrowing guys left, right, and center. So it doesn't matter who you have. They they had all kinds of talent on that offensive side, right? Jaquan Dodson, you know, one one of the best players in the country a season ago, and they couldn't get him the football. So I agree. I think if, if Clifford's not sharp, and yes, this Purdue defense lost George Karloftis, so the pass rush may be more questionable than it was a season ago. Still, West Lafayette's a weird place to play. Thursday night, nobody's going to class the next morning. I'll, I'll take the Boilermakers to cover. All right, UNC, uh, minus one and a half at Appalachian State. We will pick up the pace here. That game Saturday, ESPNU, 11 a.m. Guys, this is an odd line. UNC, only a one-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, I know they're going to Boone here, but still, one-and-a-half? That seems oddly disrespectful. I Yeah, it, it does seem disrespectful to North Carolina. It, it, anytime that a Power 5 team goes on the road to a G5 team, I think you do see lines like this, just because it's a weird situation. This is a huge moment for Appalachian State. But Drake May balled out last week against Florida A&M. And Florida A&M kept that game close. The 
there's a lot of intangibles going on for Florida A&M that I think inspired them to keep that game close. The thing that concerns me about going all in and locking up UNC in this one is their defense because you have a lot of points to Florida A&M. I think Drake May is enough to win a shootout against Appalachian State, but they could give up a lot of points and a lot of yards. I mean, I think they will give up a lot of points and a lot of yards and still just smoke them. I mean, I think this is <laughs> not too tough for UNC. You know, App State's riding a lot of momentum. UNC, everyone's down because of their performance against, you know, who they played. But I just, I can't get myself to say, yeah, UNC doesn't have, you know, the the dogs to run away with this one. I think that they're going to run away with this one. You know, it'll probably be one of those exciting games where at halftime we're like, oh, look out, the App State's got a shot. And then I just think it'll be an issue. You know, they'll just run away with it. I'm kind of in the same boat. I just think the passing attack, even though it's on the road, in an intimidating place to play for a lot of teams, listen, Boone's another place where it gets weird. I, I just, I'm, I'm leaning towards UNC. I think that's an overreaction to struggling a little bit against FAMU uh, early in that game, especially. Now, listen, Jeremy Musa put up some points for the Rattlers, and they did it through a, a, an up-tempo, high-paced offense. That's not what App State's going to do. App State's going to lean on the running game. I, I just don't think that App State has the explosive skill position players, especially, listen, UNC, for whatever you want to say, that secondary hasn't performed up to its recruiting ranking. They've still got better athletes at the corners and safeties positions than I think App, Stat, uh, App State has at the wide receiver position. So I'll go UNC. I'll go the Tar Heels. I think this line is a little bit of an overreaction here. Number 23, Cincinnati at number 19, Arkansas. The Hogs, six-point favorites here. Saturday, ESPN, 2.30 p.m. Guys, Arkansas is my lock of the week at uh, minus six, and we've got a new sound for that. That's right, Hogs. You are my stone-cold lock of the week. Listen, Cincinnati's got to replace their quarterback. They have to replace their leading production at running back and at wide receiver. No, oh, by the way, your two best players, maybe on the entire team, in Sauce Gardner and Kobe Bryant, are gone. Bearcats are going to be solid in the American, but we're not playing in the American this week. Arkansas is a team that's ready to go. I think they're going to eventually be hampered by how difficult their schedule is when we look back at their 2022 campaign, but everybody's healthy, everybody's fresh, everybody's ready to go. I think this is a rather easy decision. Give me the Hogs by 14. And when you say everybody's ready to go, you're talking about the fans as well. That's going to be, I think, the biggest difference here is they get to play this game at home and their fans are going to be rocking. We saw what they did last year in a big game against Texas early. They've got plenty of hype. Uh, yeah, this one isn't too tough. It's a bad day to be a Bearcat if you're Cincinnati this Saturday. KJ Osborne is a problem. He's going to be a problem for Cincinnati, especially replacing all the guys they have to replace on defense. I see... I see Arkansas getting this one relatively easy. Might be close in the first half as Arkansas is still kind of getting their feet under them, but I think the Razorbacks will pull away late. You know, and I'm excited to see what Sam Pittman does after such a tremendous season last year. I mean, there's a lot of pressure now on, on the Razorbacks that wasn't formerly there. You think about what they've been, especially, goodness, under Chad Morris, absolute cellar dwellers that couldn't win a, a conference game and suddenly they're being picked second in the SEC West by what feels like half the media. I feel like that's a little bit of an overreaction too, but it's a good sign that Arkansas is building something. 
They're physical on both sides of the football, and they're recruiting well. So do I think that Arkansas, maybe under a little bit easier of a schedule, could get to double-digit wins? Absolutely. I think this program's headed in that direction, and, and that's just a testament to uh, to the job that Sam Pittman's done there. Another interesting job and in a team that we were su- certainly rooting for last year. I know we didn't have the podcast, but you better believe we were texting a lot about them. The UTSA Roadrunners, they are hosting number 24 Houston. The Cougars and maybe American favorites to win the conference this year are four and a half point favorites on the road. You can watch this Saturday, CBS Sports Network, 2.30 p.m. Listen, guys, I, I told you, I'm loony for Clayton Toon this season. I will be shoveling coal for the Houston hype train all season long. I, I just feel like this is their year. I feel like Dana Holgerson has built a program that, again, was beyond a state of disrepair when he got there. He's turned it into a offensive juggernaut, and I, I think this is their year. I Listen, UTSA, a fantastic storybook season a year ago. They do lose some pieces on defense. They lose Sincere uh, McCormick, their leading rusher from a year ago. I know it's at home, but I, I just like the Cougars as a team more than the Roadrunners. So go ahead and give me Houston minus the four and a half. I'm going to take the Roadrunners and the four and a half points. Four and a half is a weird number, um, but this is going to be a close game, y'all. Frank the Tank leading that UTSA offense is going to be a force. Clayton Toon. I, I think this quarterback battle is almost a wash. Frank the Tank is a awesome college quarterback. If you haven't gotten to watch him play, he went toe-to-toe with Bailey Zappi last year and you know won that shootout in the Conference USA Championship game. I'm really excited to see the Roadrunners again this year. I do think Houston wins this game, but give me UTSA to cover. Yeah, this one's actually a Houston lock for me. Yeah, way too much offense on the Houston side on this one. I UTSA had a fantastic run. Kind of feels like there will be a regression to the mean. Um, you know, the, it's still a good story, still a good squad. Uh, they'll still be competitive, but way too much for Houston. If there's going to be a G5 team that pushes for the playoff, it's going to be Houston. So, yeah, give me Houston in this one. Huge showing in week one. And, uh, yeah, loads of points for them. I will be interested to see if Houston can back up that hype because that's what they're being talked about as is is yep. a playoff dark horse. Uh, much in how Cincinnati was being talked about that last year, they obviously paid it off and made it all the way to the Cotton Bowl against Alabama. Can Houston do that in 2022? Certainly one of the storylines that we'll be watching. Make sure to keep an eye on this one, though. Keep it on a second screen. Keep your eye on the score on your app of choice. It's during the Georgia-Oregon game, but keep an eye on this one. You'll be worthwhile. One of the more entertaining games of the weekend, Saturday ESPN Plus at 6 p.m. It's the Service Academy Army Army Black Knights going on the road to Conway where they will take on Coastal Carolina, the Teal Boys, two and a half point favorites at home. Now, one of us has yet to issue their Stone Cold Lock of the Week. Trey, if you would like to play the fight song. Yes, sir. Guys, I didn't get to talk about Coastal on the Sunbelt episode because that's the one I missed. I am so high on the Shanties this year. Grayson McCall coming back for his swan song after lighting the world on fire as a freshman and a sophomore. I think he has a chance to go really high in the NFL draft next year. Now their defense, that's a whole different story. They do have to replace a lot of talent on defense and they're going to have to fill some holes there. 
This could be similar to that Army West uh, Wake Forest game from last year, which had a 70 to 56 final um, with wow. Wake Forest coming out on top. But I trust Coastal to win in a shootout, especially against a triple option team. Coastal's just going to be too explosive. I'll lock them up this week. Yep, I agree with you. I think it's Coastal. Um, I, I don't think I'm as comfortable locking them as you are. But yeah, it just feels like too much firepower. I don't think Army... Listen, there's. I think there's two scenarios. One, Coastal runs away and runs away and hides. Or two, Army is is close late. But I, I still don't think, I still don't think Army wins this game. Typically, Army and and they've been the best service academy, arguably one of the best service academies over the last couple of years. It's Navy's regressed. It's been Army and Air Force that have risen up. Right, Air Force got ten wins last season. Army had a chance to win the Commander's Trophy, but then lost inexplicably to Navy in that finale, I, I do think with multiple weeks to prepare against a triple option attack, that's an advantage for Coastal, whereas the rest of the teams on this schedule will not get that uh, against Army. So exactly what Trey said, the more explosive offense is, is on the side of the Chanticleers. So I'm not locking them up because I aren't, listen, Army's always good for an upset a year. I just feel better with Coastal at home. And people forget that Coastal plays a modified version of the option as well. Sure. So that's not going to surprise them. They've been practicing against a version, not the four tight ends out there, triple option, but a version of the option. They've yeah. been practicing against it. The the 2021 slash 2022 version of the triple option, which is a lot of fun to watch, to be fair. So fun. Florida State at LSU, our final in-depth preview of week one. LSU, three-point favorites. This game Sunday night. Caesars Superdome in New Orleans, Louisiana. You can find this on ABC at 6.30 p.m. Listen, guys, I've committed to FSU winning this game for weeks now, and I'm in so deep, i got to stand by it. I will say, I know the public is rolling with the Tigers, but here's my case for the Knolls. FSU is going to be able to run the ball in this game. They've got a trio of backs that just committed program history last week with three guys over 100 yards in one game. Their defense showed the ability to get to the quarterback, albeit against Duquesne. I understand that, but they've gotten live reps. They've gotten to hit people. They've gotten to run their reads, adjust on the fly, and they have a week of game tape to self-scout. LSU's biggest advantage is that Florida State doesn't know if it's going to be Jaden Daniels or Garrett Nussmeyer. With as many questions as we have on the LSU side of things with what that offense is going to look like, how does that defense recover? It's been a abysmal the last couple of seasons I'm just I'm, I'm feeling the hype train for Florida State this season I think they find a way to go seven eight wins and one of them has to be Sunday night so I'll take FSU plus the three I'm gonna say they do it outright give me the Knowles. for me you said that the biggest advantage was they don't know what quarterback it is for me, the biggest advantage in this entire game is the fact that it's being played in the Superdome. You'd have sure. to pay me a lot of money to take an opposing team to the Superdome and play LSU at night. That's just a nightmare for me. I would never want to have to be that coach on the other sideline with as crazy as those fans are going to be. They're going to have all day to get riled up. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't want to be the opposing coach there. Give me LSU here. I don't necessarily think they're going to be a fantastic team all year. But week one, enough excitement around it. New coach, you know, there's going to be plenty to, to talk about, to get excited about. Uh, yeah, let LSU score early. 
and the fans are just going to stay in this thing the whole time. Give me the Tigers. Neither of y'all have said the actual biggest advantage in this game, and I keep saying it, but Florida State's already played a game, y'all. That's a huge, huge, huge advantage. Your biggest, it's a cliche, but your biggest improvement week over week is going to be from week one to week two. Having that game against Duquesne, even though if it was just playing against air for most of that, is huge. It sunk LSU last year when they played UCLA. UCLA had already played a game. I know it's a different coaching staff, but guys, LSU has not looked good in a game since Joe Burrow was quarterback. I We can say it's a tough it's tough to back Mike Norvell in Florida State. It's just as tough to back LSU post Joe Burrow. So give me the Knolls. I'll ride with the Knolls. I'll ride with the Tomahawk Chomp. Yeah, let's do it. I, I, I would maybe it's a maybe it's a pick from my heart, just wanting to see our pick of Brian Kelly questioning him kind of look good out of the gate. But yeah, and give now- me the Knolls. I, you know, FSU is one of my darlings this season for better or for worse in sickness and in health. I'm going to ride with the Knolls. Um, you're right. I mean, it did sink LSU last season. I, I might say that the last time they looked, you know, good, quote unquote, was their game against Texas A&M, considering they won at home. But no, point, no, no. Points to good. A&M looked kind of bad. Yeah, well, true. Um, anyway, we won't revisit that. All right. So those are our 10 kind of preeminent games of the week, what to watch for if you only have a a certain amount of time to watch games this weekend. Those are our 10 that we're going to be paying special attention to. But a couple other games of note, we'll just fly through these very quickly. If you guys want to kind of hit the high points, a highlight, what you're watching for if you have these games on TV. I've got number 13, NC State at Eastern Carolina. I've got Memphis at Mississippi State. Louisville at Syracuse and Clemson at Georgia Tech, all on our run sheet. Trey, I'll start with you. Pick one of those games. You have a leaning which way you want to go there? I'll go Clemson, Georgia Tech, just because I need to see if DJU has made the improvement to be in that elite quarterback company to make Clemson a playoff contender again. They're not a playoff contender in my mind until they figure out quarterback. They're going to be a two or three loss team until they figure that out. So this is a chance. The eyes of the nation will be on him on Monday night. Can he carve up a really bad Georgia Tech team that I believe he struggled with just last season? He did. Georgia Tech only lost that game on the last possession, I believe. Yeah, it was a close one. Yeah. No, I'm looking at uh, Mississippi State here for my game that I'm most curious about. I want to see them play a game against a pretty decent Memphis. They're not fantastic. I think we all agree they'll win that one. But I want to see how they perform, especially considering they're in a prime spot to upset a lot of people this year. You could be talking about spoiling a Bama run, Arkansas, LSU, A&M. There's a couple teams that could be pretty good this year. And Mississippi State's on all of their schedules. I'm really curious to see how they come out and if Will Rogers can keep looking as good as he did last year. I like Mississippi State in that game, but I, I tell you what, the more when, when I was looking at that, and, and listen, Mississippi State should blow out Memphis on paper. They should have done it last year, and they lost. So I don't necessarily believe in Seth Hennigan at quarterback, even though, you know, hey, listen, local product, didn't Ryan Raider, loved watching him in high school. Not the most explosive quarterback, especially when you compare him to Will Rogers on the other sideline. Still, I've got this weird feeling that Memphis kind of hangs around. They lose by 14. 
I'm going to take the Tigers of Memphis to cover that spread just because it's the Pirate, it's it's week one. Nobody's ever fully dialed. So give me, give me the Tigers. That's a big number. If Mississippi State is not clicking on all cylinders, I think that's a, an easy number for, for Memphis to cover. My team that I'm watching, and you know, I'll, I'll mem- mention NC State very quickly, 11-point favorites on the road against an in-state rival in East Carolina. Pirates are kind of plucky. We talked about that in our group of five preview. I think East Carolina, if they get that offense rolling, they could be dangerous. They could catch a team off guard. It's not NC State, though. The Wolfpack are ready to play. I think NC State is going to have a very special season. I kind of need them to. They're one of my playoff picks. Can I push my button one more time? Sure. And NC State's going to roll in that one. I, yeah, I'm not no afraid of East Carolina. <laughs> it's, it's interesting, though. The public certainly seems to be betting East Carolina for, for whatever reason, whether it's a home game, it's week one, weird Just things. Trendy. Fade the public. <laughs> yeah, I see that, and that's what I was about to say, too. Uh, Devin Leary will be the best player on the field. That defense should be pretty solid. Give me the Wolfpack. My lucky dog of the week, though, is Syracuse at home against Garrett's beloved Louisville Cardinals. Cardinals giving up four and a half on the road to the Orange. Listen, Saturday night in whatever it's now known as, it will forever be the Carrier Dome on this show. Dino Babers, he said all the right things this week. Now, listen, I believe I did the Syracuse preview way back when we did the ACC. There's not a lot to be excited about for the Syracuse defense, but Sean Tucker offensively, I think, finds a way to keep them in it. And again, we don't fully know what Louisville will be. Malik Cunningham will be the best player on the field. Syracuse has admitted that. Dino Babers talked to the media about that this week. But something about me refuses to believe that Louisville has all the pieces together in week one under Scott Satterfield on the road, tricky place to play in the dome, and an opposing team that can run the football down your throat. Give me Sean Tucker. Give me Syracuse to keep this one close. Cover that four and a half point spread. My dog of the week. Malik Cunningham's going to put up stupid numbers. That's just, yeah, that's just, I mean, look, if the rest of the team sucks, Malik Cunningham's going to put him on his back and just carry him through. Yeah. Louisville's going to be fine, but like the boldness here, you know, it's a cool pick. Malik Cunningham also does usually look like a Heisman contender week one. So I, I don't know that I would bet against him week one. Rest of the season, up in the air. But week one, he does usually look pretty dang good. Well, week two, we've got Louisville going down to the bounce house, and you better believe that's going to be one of the topics of conversation. May even find its way into the ledger, which is how we're going to conclude this show. Let me explain this to you. The ledger is going to be our betting segment where each member of the show picks two games that they will quote-unquote bet against the other two members. So for disclaimer, no hard-earned American currency is being exchanged. This is simply a free-to-play, fun exercise that we kind of did against each other last season in the NFL. I wanted to bring it over to this show. So, for example, this week I've selected a game that I will bet against Trey and a game that I will bet against Garrett. I'm taking, in my game against Trey, I'm taking Illinois plus two and a half. So by giving Trey that game, it means he's taking, he's forced to back Indiana minus two and a half at home against go Hoosiers. That's right. Uh-huh. Go Hoosiers. Great looking set of uh, of uniforms. Tom Allen. I love him. I just think that Illinois wins this week against Garrett. I'm going to take Syracuse plus four and a half because they're my home dog of the week. My lucky dog of the week. 
and Garrett's high on Louisville. So it's just got no issue taking Louisville here. It's an entertaining way for us to kind of play against each other and, and have just our own little segment here at the end of the show. So I've got my two Illinois plus two and a half against Trey Syracuse plus four and a half against Garrett Garrett. Who are you going with for your pick against myself and your pick against Trey? Well, first off, Mitch, thanks for the free points by giving me Louisville there. Um, but no, um, yeah, Mitch, against you, I'm taking Pitt versus West Virginia. You get to be a Mountaineers fan this week, and yeah. I'm going to be fine with that one. Trey, you're going to get Cincinnati in that buzzsaw game. Uh, I'm taking Arkansas to win this one pretty handily. I love it. I love it. So for mine... I'm 100% trolling with my pick against Garrett, but I will take Utah minus three. So a little bit of Garrett has to root for Florida. <laughs> no and part of me will be rooting for Florida. <laughs> you'll just sacrifice the points. I, I respect Yeah, I that. get the free point for Louisville. So yeah, you can take my Utah point. Respect, respect. So against Mitch, I'm going to bring up one more game that we haven't gotten to talk a lot about yet. I'm going to take the Oregon State Beavers getting uh, for three points to cover as favorites at home against Boise State. Sneaky good game in the late night window on Saturday. We didn't really have time to talk about it, but it's going to be a good one if you're up for some Pac-12 after dark. You got a long weekend. You probably have Monday off, so stay up for that one. It's going to be worth it. I absolutely will. It's circled on my calendar. I'm sure we're going to be tweeting about it. I I love that, and I don't mind backing Boise State. Do I think Oregon State's probably the better team? Yes, but I also wonder if Hank Bachmeyer is the best quarterback in that game. So I know the Broncos are going on the road. Corvallis can be a weird place to play. We've seen Oregon stumble in there. Some Pac-12 opponents stumble in there as well. What does Boise State have here uh, in year two of a new coaching staff? You know, who knows? Hank Bachmeyer was not healthy last year. He got drilled last season and ultimately, I think, knocked out of, of the end of the season there because that offensive line just couldn't stop a bloody nose. So... I'm interested to see what the Broncos bring to the table. I, I, I don't have a leaning really one way or the other in this game. So sure, I'll run with the Broncos plus three. It'll, it'll give me something to watch late night. There we go. <laughs> That's all this is for, really. Exactly. This, exactly. this is really just meant to be entertaining. I, now, I can hear those of you who have stuck around to the end of the episode going, Mitch, you moron. Garrett and Trey both took favorites. You took both dogs as your pick. And listen, loyal listener, I hear you. I'm here for the entertainment value. I honestly believe Illinois finds a way to win this game, especially after Chase Brown ran it down Wyoming's throat last week. I think he'll be the best best player on the field. So I feel pretty good about that. And I'll admit, Syracuse, it's more of a passion pick than it is you know, <laughs> a stone cold lock. Uh, against Louisville, I do think that Malik Cunningham can put up big numbers. Again, weird place to play. Uh, Dino Babers typically has his guys ready to go early in the season. It's kind of late where they get beaten down by the rest of the ACC that hasn't happened yet so I'll ride with the orange but guys well done week one preview we've been waiting months to have this done any final thoughts any any last minute storylines that you'd like to chuck in here I'm just excited man I'm, I'm excited to get started Thursday night we've got good games Friday night too sure. Saturday Sunday Monday it, it it's a paradise you couldn't ask for anything better. Five straight days of just soaking it all in, enjoying it while it's here because it'll be gone too quickly. Yeah, the last time we had a full slate of games was at the end of November last year. It's finally here. Enjoy your weekend. Have a great time watching all the games your heart can possibly manage. 
uh, yeah, have a good time. I sure will be. I'm excited to see what the group of five teams do this week. There's a lot of those early season matchups. There's bound to be one or two upsets. I don't know, you know, who those those upsets might be. If you pay attention to Twitter, there's a lot of Mac love floating around the place. Obviously, we talked about Appalachian State, UNC. Um, so if you've got a, a group of five upset upset of the week, feel free to tweet us at Three Tech Pod. Y'all think we get an FCS upset this week? An FCS team winning a bye game? I do not. No, me neither. <laughs> okay, I, I, I'll throw it out there just to see if y'all had a pick. Well, for Vanderbilt's that, but... not playing uh, SES, so you know, sir, sir. In this house, <laughs> in this house, we respect Anchor Down after their shellacking. Did you learn nothing from last week? I learned nothing. <laughs> uh, loyal listener uh, from Dallas wanted me to shout out uh, the Texas Tech Red Raiders against Murray State. So here's your shout out. Go All beat right. the Raiders. There you go. Yeah, go go take care of the racers. Tyler Shuck, named the quarterback of Texas Tech. I don't know if we got to that in our preseason knock or not. But, fellas, enjoy the weekend. We will be back on Monday morning to recap a full, glorious slate of action. Of course, we won't have the Clemson-Georgia Tech result. And by the time we've recorded the podcast, we won't have the LSU-Florida State result either. But that'll be covered on uh, on Thursday's episode So we'll have a chance to break down everything else in its full glory. We'll have all the top storylines, news, notes, and we'll have the results, obviously, from all of our picks against the spread as well. For Trey Reeves and Garrett Turney, I'm Mitch Mason. Until next time, so long, everybody. (laughs) 